You're listening to Asians Represent, a series on the OneShot Podcast Network. I'm your host, Daniel Kwan, and this episode is brought to you by our amazing supporters on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash aznsrepresent for exclusive content, show notes, and more. Asians Represent is back. This is season five of Asians Represent in our poorly numbered podcast. This is episode 77 of Asians Represent, and this is a unique one. This is one of the first episodes in a long time that we've actually pre-recorded. And this is an episode that has, the team is spanning two continents. Indeed. (laughs) International, uh, internationally known. This is Asians Represent International. That's like a different, ooh, that actually sounds cool. Asians Rep Inc. Incorporated. Inc. Oh, like Batman, Inc. Batman Inc. When he went international. Batman Inc. Yeah. Have you read Ooh. Batman Incorporated where he went international? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. I have. yeah there you go. Ooh, that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be really cool. What would be Asians? The Asians represent Rogues Gallery would be like Caratour, Oriental Adventures. Uh, and then all those other people or, would yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, but dude, I, I'm glad to... This is the first time that you and I have done a podcast episode together. Yes. Yeah, it's just you and I, Daniel and Jeremy, yes. uh, on Asians Represent as not a guest. You're not here as a guest of Asians Represent. You're part of the Asians Represent team. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. is just like an internal podcast episode, and that's super cool. And you're, it's your afternoon right now, and it's my evening, because it's my it's my 10.54 p.m., because I moved to the U.K. this year. Because yeah, you, you, you relocated to the U.K., yeah. uh, and now you're going to take the, the U.K. games industry by storm, and soon you're going to move to... Was it Nottingham, and you're going to work at Warhammer World? That's yeah, storage, War, right? we'll take take over Warhammer World. Yeah, get the, get them to stop charging uh, uh, charging penny p- pennies and dimes every to everyone. You're, you're going to start working at, at, for Games Workshop, and then all of a sudden, it's all going to be pre-painted minis. Yeah, <laughs> and the quality's going to go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blame blame it on me. But no, it's um yeah, we got the uh, Atlantic connection here right now. Toronto. Soon it'll be Daniel Toronto ruined D&D and Jeremy ruined Warhammer. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty Take much. over the world, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but dude, I'm so glad that we're doing this. This is, uh, not only is it an interesting episode because it's one that we're pre-recording, but it's also an interesting episode because this is a redo of a panel that we did at Big Bad Con. And unfortunately, Jeremy, you weren't actually at that panel. Because I moved. So... <laughs> This is a way for us to kind of bring your insights into that and to share this panel uh, and my own insights with the wider sort of Asians represent audience. Um, So I'm very excited. So for today's episode, we are going to be talking about TTRPG Freelancing 101. But because of, you know, your unique experiences, Jeremy, this is very much also going to be Freelance Writing 101. Mm -hmm. Freelance Writing 101. Now, before we dive in, I think it's really important for us to kind of not do introductions about like ourselves. I mean, obviously we can, but I think it's important to kind of talk about how long you've been working as a freelance writer and some of your notable work. So I don't know if you want to start, Jeremy. Um, I think I first started working as a freelance writer probably at the beginning of 2022 properly. I think maybe at the end of 2021, I started, but I think pretty, pretty much all of, actually, no, middle of 2021 was when I started doing freelance writing, but beginning of 2022 was when I really started doing TTRPG freelance writing, like in depth, I think. 
Um, yeah. But before you entered the games industry, you were also a professional writer. You were a journalist. Yeah, I was a journalist. So I've been a journalist for over 10 years at this point. I, um, I got my degree in journalism at the University of Hong Kong at the journalism at the JMSC, um, which stands for... God, I don't even remember what it stands for. Gotta look it up. (laughs) Yeah, Journalism and Media Studies Center at the University of Hong Kong. So if anyone listening to this has a hankering to study journalism in Asia, I mean, I really recommend the University of Hong Kong because it's a program on English. It taught me a lot. Uh, It prepared me for working in journalism, primarily in like the Asia Pacific region, but it also gave me a ton of connections that I then leveraged into all the jobs that I've been, uh, that I've worked for ever since. Um, the reason I went to Hong Kong for journalism is because I was living in Taiwan at the time. So I was, I was already in the region and I wanted to do something that uh, involved writing and I wanted to do something in a place where one of the languages was English because I was so tired of learning Chinese at that, yeah. at that particular moment in time. Um, so yeah, I got a degree from HKU, and then afterwards I worked as a journalist in the South China Morning Post, which is Hong Kong's English newspaper. Uh, I covered the protests in Hong Kong, the 2014 protests. Um, I covered stuff like Edward Snowden moving to Hong Kong. Um, and then after that, I worked at a company called Storyful that did breaking news, breaking video uh, news. And then eventually I moved back to the U.S. And so I, I moved from Hong Kong. I Then I moved to New York and I worked at the same company, Storyful, in the U.S. for a while. And then I got a contract gig at the Huffington Post back in, God, I think it was 20... 2020, I think, at this 2020, point. 2020, that's when we met. Yeah, so I, I met Daniel in 2020 because I got this job at the HuffPost, which gave me a lot of leeway to write about what I want. Like previously, I had been writing about um, hard news, particularly in my breaking video uh, job. I had been writing about stuff like the Syrian civil war um, and like alt-right movements across the planet. And so it was, it was like really heavy stuff. And then I started working for the Trends team at the Huffington Post, where I could write mm-hmm. about... Uh, a little bit more of what I wanted to. And so I got to write about Magic the Gathering. I got to write about like the Snyder cut of, Ju- of Justice League. <laughs> I, got, I got to write about uh, a D&D because 2020 was the year where D&D was losing its mind and there was like the Orc discourse and there was uh, Oriental mm-hmm. Adventures discourse and those sort of cultural stories were pretty popular uh you know this 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 yeah. this zeitgeist is getting challenged and it's changing for the better and here are the people challenging it and so at that time asians represent was doing the Karator read through you and steve were sitting down and you guys were reading through the book and you were getting a lot of attention on you and i interviewed you guys for an article and that article was published and that kind of kicked off everything with my involvement with Asians rap and also a our de- friendship, our friendship, a, a deeper involvement with TTRPGs. Um, because after that, then I hopped on the uh, Legends of the Five Ring uh, read through mm. with you guys because I had played L5R. Like I remember talking with Steve and I told him that, oh, I, I'm, you know, I was. I got this Lion Clan character, and we, we we bonded over that a little bit when I interviewed him. And then I hopped on an episode with you guys, and then the, you know the rest is history. Um, so it's yeah, really funny how so, things work out that way. Yeah, and 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 then after my Huffington Post job, uh, the contract ended in 2021, middle of 2021. Then I started just doing freelance writing um, on my own here and there at various places. And then in 2022, I started working for 
more companies in the TTRPG scene working on books that are finally going to be released starting at the end of this, uh, starting next month, actually. Yeah, finally, finally going to be released. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's wild because I remember you also covered like the 2020 election because I remember I, there was like a time when you were like, oh, yeah, I'm on call and I have to just write whatever happens. Yeah, yeah, I covered. I, I So, yeah, I've written about a lot of things. Like, yeah, in 2020, it was all Donald Trump. It was all COVID. It was um, a lot of stress. Uh, that, that was a difficult time to be working in hard news. And yeah. leaving that and <laughs> entering into the TTRPG scene uh, was a nice change, but the TTRPG scene has its own stresses. Like you know, the the the, of course. the OGL blowing everything up at the start of this year is stressful if if you're working on TTRPG books and that's your main source of revenue. So so yeah, it's it's been an interesting uh, road. Uh, I was full time freelance from I guess middle of 2021 to the to, to just last October actually, um, or, or last month. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what last time. month. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. What, I don't know what time it is anymore. Uh, last month. When I I got I got another full time job now I I'm I'm living in the UK now and I got a job at Rock Paper Shotgun which is a video game site so now I'm writing game guides which is a, another nice cool change yeah you um, went you went from basically covering like Syria and like Donald Trump to like writing about Call of Duty Modern Warfare three yeah I mean you know two sides of the same spectrum right there but both you know Call of Duty Donald Trump both great examples of like American imperialism <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my god yeah but so how many for our audience how many TTRPG projects have you worked on as like a freelancer I'm counting because I know you work as a cultural consultant because uh, you work for companies like Darrington Press Critical Role mm -hmm. um, you've worked for Paizo um like how many projects have you worked on? Just to give a give a sense of, you know, your tenure as a tabletop RPG like freelancer because you have this impressive yeah. career as a journalist. But what about tabletop? I got I got to look at my portfolio. Um let's see. Projects. So 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 13 14, like at least like 15 major things um ranging from rpg books to uh miniatures war games that i've, I've contributed to um that's it, awesome it, it it gets a little bit higher when you count the fact that i was writing for dnd beyond for about a year actually um i forgot i forgot to include that in my assessment of how long i've been freelance writing for ttrpg companies because i actually started writing articles for dnd beyond in early 2021 so if you count, i clicked on every single one yeah if, if you if you count those articles i mean i, I wrote a whole bunch of them uh, so i don't know it, it's been at least like 15 to 20 things that will come out in like a physical form that you can mm. that you can hold that you can play with on a table um some of which are still under nda that i can't really talk about them but but a lot of them are actually have been revealed now by this point i can talk about them which is fun yeah there was a, a recent pathfinder release that i saw you yes on twitter yes there's a pathfinder yeah, what book. was that one um that is the uh, volume of the latest adventure path um, the adventure path right now is Season of Ghosts, which is a cool kind of like set in Tian Sha, which, which Tian Dan, Sha. Daniel and I both worked on. A Tian Sha adventure path, very influenced by Asian horror. Um, and so I worked on, it's a four-part adventure path, and I worked on volumes three and four. I wrote like 
you know, I wrote like those articles in the back of the Paizo Adventure Pass, yeah, like, yeah. the ones that are still reminiscent of like Dragon and Dungeon Magazine. Totally. Um, <laughs> so I, I got to write some cool stuff in there. I got to, I, I, I can actually say what it is. I, the, this thing that's coming out in December, I wrote an ecology article about uh, Nindorus, which is a new type of fiend that, um, that they've introduced into the game, influenced by Asian horror. So, so that, that was fun. It's a, it's a cool way to have like my first actual thing come out. Yeah, I get to write about this this monster and all the lore behind it. And is it, it in a physical format? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be out in physical oh, have you next seen month. It? I haven't, so I haven't seen it. Have seen they it sent yet. it to you? Not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. You got to post that when you see it. Like, there is nothing more empowering and emotional than going to a store and seeing your shit there. Yeah. Like, I. I I, oh I, can't, I can't. I can't wait to. Find, I mean, just just seeing my name. Like I, I saw my, the thing I posted on Twitter was a little screenshot yeah. of my name, being like, coming up next month because they're monthly releases. The Adventure Pass coming up next month. This article, Cycles of Destruction by Jeremy Blum. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I mean, like, I know I'm gonna go buy it. I'm gonna. Go, I haven't bought a physical Pathfinder product in a long time, and I'm gonna go buy this one. Yeah, you should. I mean, it's like, it's, I can't it's, wait. it's it's a good adventure path um, in general. It's it's a fun thing to 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 play, particularly if if there are people that want to get like the Tiansha books and just want to run something like based in that part of the world. Just get the Seasons of Ghost Adventure Path, and you can use it for inspiration. You can chop it up for parts, so you can run it as is. Uh, it's a good adventure path. A lot of good people worked on it, uh, like. Uh, Sen HHS, who's who's in our mm-hmm. uh, Asians represent server, a first Taiwanese writer to get like a, a cover credit on a Pathfinder or on a D, yeah. on a D twenty fantasy book. Um, Joan Hong, who's a Korean American, I believe, she wrote the second volume that just came out. And so a lot of good people worked on it. Paizo is doing things right. It was it was really cool, like meeting a lot of the Paizo folks and folks who contributed to Paizo products at Big Bad Con, and. Uh, Sitting down and eating Korean fried chicken with James Case. You actually got to meet James uh, Case. I haven't met James. Oh yeah, and Drew said, "It feels so weird. It's like I'm sitting next to my boss." Oh, that's uh, that's awesome, man. Um, James is James is wonderful. I want to um, I want to chill with James and eat Korean fried chicken. And remember when we were like, <laughs> "Don't accidentally leak Tian Sha on the internet or on on an oh Asian, yeah I know <laughs> on an Asian represent live stream." And then one time, like I posted something in some Discord server, but it was like. It was like the Tianxia server, and, and I think Drew thought I had posted that in the Asian rep server. It was like, Jeremy, oh my god, I almost... <laughs> shit, I didn't know that. <laughs> I almost shot a brick because I thought you accidentally leaked Tianxia, and I had, to, I had to... I freaked out. I had to check myself. I was like, did I? But I, I checked it. It was in the right place. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. And it's like, it's just super cool to see you go from, like, journalist to TTRPG freelancer and to accumulate all of these credits to now go back to like full-time video game writing, which is like a super cool journey because I know you're living the dream that a lot of people wish they were. Yeah, living. I actually wanted to become a video game journalist in the very beginning. Like when I decided to get into journalism, I was like, "Oh man, like I want to be like those guys in in." This elect- is when like inside gaming. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when I grew up, it was Computer Gaming World and Electronic Gaming Monthly were like religious. Oh yeah. Religious. I used to get me. those. And so I I wanted to be part of the review squad in Electronic Gaming Monthly and EGM. And those the magazines don't really exist anymore. Journalism has changed yeah. a lot. Video game journalism has gone through crazy ups and downs. Um, and you know, 
you know, my, my, my Asian parents or what, what my Asian mom, my white dad, uh, my, my white Jewish dad, neither of them were that, were that happy that I went into journalism and, uh, you know, the stereotype, you don't make money as a journalist is a tough field. And you know, all those things are true. <laughs> and yeah, all, we'll, we'll definitely talk about all those, all, all those, all those yeah. It, freelance writing also has tons of challenges and you don't, you don't necessarily make that much money either. So there you go. It's tough. Yeah, it's something we'll we'll definitely talk about. But dude, I just wanted to say that I'm proud of you. Oh, thank I'm you. Proud of you. Thank you. I, I can't wait to like send you pictures of of when I see your your Pathfinder book in the store. Because uh, best know I'm going to. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, but I'll you. do a quick introduction for myself. I I don't want to like I'm not trying to I don't want to center myself in the conversation. Listen, it's just the two of listen, us. Listen, Daniel Kwan. Daniel Kwan <sighs> is the reason why I got like a third of these gigs so yeah shout out to daniel Kwan. god uh, well uh, i i don't handle praise very well um but for me like i've been working in ttrpgs as a writer since 2018 i started working on my own stuff in 2017 and since then i've worked on i did a count i've worked on 40 projects That's awesome um, not all of them are out yet, but I've worked on 40 projects in various capacities. I'm catching up. Uh, I'll, most I'll recently, get there. I'll get there Tiansha. eventually. Uh, Tiansha, <laughs> yeah, right? you're, you're, you'll catch up, but we're both on Tiansha, which is cool. Um, and I just, I just, right now I'm at this point in my freelancing career where I only work on projects that I, I think are really cool mm-hmm. or that align with my values. Um, most recently, the project that I, I guess I got credit on was uh, Candela Obscura. Mm-hmm. Um, I got my books in the mail and uh, I am credited as one of the preliminary designers of the um, you know the uh, illuminated world system uh, so it's really neat seeing I had this photo of when I was at this critical role party at Gen Con in 2018 and I met Matt, Matt, Matt for the first yeah, time yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, I remember talking to Matt at the party just being like oh I love Overwatch never watched a single episode of Critical Role <laughs> And I was at this party. I remember talking to Sam Regal, and I didn't even know who he was. Oh, and everybody's man. like, "Yo, we were talking to Sam Regal." I was like, "Who?" Um, because just like I, I didn't watch Critical Role, and I remember after that Gen Con going home and being at this Tim Hortons rest stop on the highway. Yeah, and just going on Twitter and seeing that Matt had followed me on Twitter. Oh, that's awesome! And freaking having a very public freak out. Oh, that's awesome! Um, I, I I wish I had met Matt Mercer in 2018 because I would have been like, dude, I loved your Leon Kennedy and Resident Evil yeah, Six, like, Leon Kennedy in the movies <laughs> even, and in the games, even deeper cut. Be like, I haven't, I haven't really watched Critical Role, but I like your Leon. <laughs> <laughs> I loved you in Titanfall too, oh, um, but like, yeah, or like, I loved you in Naruto. Um, he was in but Naruto. Yeah, I re- yeah, he was. He was, was in Naruto. He? Who was he? He was, in, he was like Yamato in Naruto. Oh, man. <laughs> um, I gotta, I gotta I'll look, look that up. Hold up. I gotta confirm that. I, he was, who was he in Naruto? I mean, he's, he's Ganondorf now. He's like everywhere. So. He's Ganondorf. Um, he was, he was, I guarantee he was in Naruto though. Um, oh my God. I'm gonna find this because, yeah, he's a whole bunch of characters. In Naruto, he was Yamato and then couple of other minor characters but the main one he was was, was yamato okay okay um, i can see that in i didn't know this but in the naruto spinoff rock lee and his ninja pals matt played might guy <laughs> i did not know that i did not even um, know there was a spinoff about rock lee and his ninja pals it's just all right <laughs> um but yeah so i remember meeting matt in 2019 and then in 2021 getting an email uh to join this project nda this project at, mm. for darrington press that matt was involved in yes and i remember hopping into a zoom meeting 
and it was um, a whole bunch of folks. I met a whole bunch of people on this project. It was like at one point it was like uh, Jasmine Bueller, Ivan Van Norman, Tanya DePass was on it, and then Matt. And then, so going from like meeting him at a party to being credited on this line with Eloy LaSanta, who is a good friend of mine, and Matt is just like a cool thing. Did he remember um, you? But he, who Matt? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Cool. I think I was like the only Asian guy at that point. Okay, okay. so he's like an Asian. <laughs> I must remember this guy. I must file him in the yeah. back of my mind. <laughs> no, he's a he's a great guy. We you know, um, I really like working with them. The the folks at Critical Role are, are really great. And they are very good. Yes, I've worked with them too um, now at this point. Yeah, you have. But yeah, I've worked on a whole bunch of TTRPG projects. Candela Obscure at the time of recording ha- is is now out, so you folks can go and get that. Um, but yeah, I'm very proud of that. I had a cool moment when I was in Edmonton for work for my day job. I went to a comic book store because I knew they had some back issues of uh, Ultimate Spider-Man that I was trying to get. And I was like, what is all this noise from the back of the store? And they had like a ad- whole Adventurers League thing running. Nice. And I saw this like huge TTRBG like selection. Unexpected. But I was looking through it. They had Avatar. They had Kand- uh, like Candlekeep. They had... Um, uh, the uh, some Cobalt Press stuff that I had worked on. And then I was looking through the indie stuff because I was looking for some OSR games because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, they've got a lot of Morkborg stuff and some third-party Morkborg. I was like, this is wild. And then I saw Ross Rifles. Nice. And it was just like the wildest feeling to be like this random store that had no contact with us, Dundas West Games, stocked our shit. That's awesome. And that's I talked really to the good. owner. He's like, oh, yeah, that sells really well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was very cool. I can't. I can't wait. Um, I can't wait to have that feeling of of seeing my stuff in a store and like holding it. And I can't wait for yeah. you to have that feeling. Yeah, I want that for 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 all of my friends because it, it's very it's a very cool one. Um, but before you could even get to that feeling, right? We have to talk about like how to even enter the industry. Yes, there's like the Ross rifles, like sort of route you can go and you can self publish. But if you want to be a freelancer. Where do you start? Obviously, like you and I had two different journeys. I don't have a journalism background. My background's in archaeology and education. Um, and I basically got into the industry by accident. But like, how did, I mean, you, you said that, like, no Daniel Kwan. Um, you got into the industry because of connections you made. Yeah. I mean, I kind of got into it by accident, too. But, uh, you know, the older I get, the more I realize most stuff is by accident. Um, a lot of you know, I've I've never really gotten a job off of LinkedIn or or, or done that kind of mm. job grind hustle on LinkedIn. Everything that I've gotten has been through someone that I knew, or you know, a recommendation or uh, just a connection in some way. And you know, I got my job at the Huffington Post from a friend who had gone on to work there, who was talking to her boss, who needed a contract worker for a year, and she recommended me and then her boss called me up and asked me to do like an online test and I did it and then he was like okay you got a job and so a lot of these things happen uh, just kind of randomly and for TTRPGs I mean I've been playing TTRPGs for a while I was really into D&D I really wanted to put my contributions to tabletop games out there in some way but I didn't really have an avenue for doing that. Um, I kind of got into the industry from 
doing those articles about Dungeons and Dragons for the outlet that I was working at. You know, I, I, I didn't have a way to really get into the industry. I'm not, I, 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 I had trouble getting big on Twitter. I didn't make threads or anything like that. I, I, I had like a measly contribution to the orc discourse that was like a few tweets, but like nobody liked it. So I wasn't, I wasn't that sort of person, but I did have this, um, big newspaper that I was working for. And so I got in that way by writing an article and by making connections. You know, I connected with you, I connected with Steve, and then by chance I happened to be an L5R player. You guys were looking for people that had more experience with L5R to join you on the read through and so I jumped in and then kind of got involved deeper into the community that way. Um and then it kind of spiraled from there. Uh I got involved with D&D Beyond because you gave me a tip that they were looking for writers. And so I mm-hmm. sent I sent in an application for that. I think it was actually an editorial job. They wanted somebody to reorganize the site and um, basically provide a constant content stream of articles. And uh, it was an editor job, and I didn't quite have the experience for that, so I didn't get the editor job. Um, however, they wanted freelancers to write for the editor that they did hire, who was uh, who I believe it was Michael Galvis. Shout out to Michael. And then he yep. he reached out to me. Um, uh, or rather, no, actually, I started writing articles in the interim before he was before he was officially hired. Um, but then I started working with him once he was hired, and I was like freelancing D and D articles for D and D Beyond for about a year. And that to me was a pretty easy switch because I, I was already writing articles for a news outlet. Now I was just writing articles about D and D. You know, I was going from writing about hard news about the twenty twenty election to writing like stuff about you know how to. Use this monster in your campaign. So it, it's still writing. Um, and I think because I did have that journalism background, I, I knew how to formally structure things around. I was an easy hire in that sense. And then because I yeah. had the D&D Beyond job, I made connections with other people that then started leading me to get other gigs, like with Paizo and with other companies. So it all kind of snowballed. And the joke is that, yeah, Daniel recommended me for a lot of things. And that's how I... Um, got in. But then once once you start putting work out there, uh, even if it's not like an itch.io TTRPG project that you worked on, or even if it's not a published book, as long as you can show that, you know, you're, you can write and, and you kind of know your way around words and you can, you can produce this stuff on time, then I think there's a good chance that not everyone, but some people will give you a shot. And then once you get that first shot, then it becomes easier to make all your other shots. So that's how I got involved in the industry. Basically connections, a little help from Daniel um, and networking. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, Big thing for me is like, not to self-aggrandize, but like I'm in a position where I can recommend people and I want to recommend people because that's how I got into the industry. My first ever writing gig came because I met Robin Laws. Mm. Um, I When I first started in the industry, I was teaching at the Royal Ontario Museum using D&D and other TTRPGs for education. And I ended up meeting this artist, Shell Khan, on, on Reddit. And then we connected on Twitter. Shell, they came into my class, did like a painting workshop. And then that led to me going to Breakout Con for the first time. And then at Breakout Con, I, I met, the, you, know, uh, you know, Kate, Rob, and Rach, who were organizing it at the time. And then that led from me going to small little hotel con to being like, okay, I'm on a panel at Fan Expo Canada, a con that I've been attending since I was like a kid, and I'm sitting at a table, and there's Ed Greenwood and Robin Laws, and I'm yeah. here. Things ramp, and things, I rem- things ramp up pretty fast. Like <laughs> Things ramp up yeah. very fast. And so I remember being on that panel, and then Robin invited me to 
work on the Yellow King RPG, mm. just like writing little monsters and stuff. Um, so that was like super cool. It's actually funny that my like first freelance gig was like related to like Lovecrafty stuff. Yeah, you're um, you're not really a Lovecraft guy. You, you like Delta Green. I'm not. You like Delta Green. But. I love Delta Green and I love I love weird horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't like Lovecraft. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how I got my first gig, and then I just kept working. And Asians Represent became an avenue for me to market myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, I'm the archaeology guy. I'm the Asians Represent guy. And then a lot of people now know about my skills as a writer and world building and stuff. Um, and th- actually, through Asians Represent is how I got working on Candlekeep Mysteries. Yes, I don't think I've ever talked about this on the podcast, but the reason why Wizards actually was able to reach me in the first place is because of this podcast. The reason why they got my contact information is because Mike Merles emailed James D'Amato, the head of the One Shot Network, and was like, hey, do you have Daniel Kwan's contact information? Oh, dang. And James messaged me and was like, hey, Mike Merles from D&D at the time wants your email. Is that okay? And I said, sure. And so this was uh, uh, late 2019. Okay. So uh, had you guys started reading Carator? No. No. No, you hadn't. No, we hadn't. We hadn't. And I had already worked on a couple of little projects at the time. But you had, Uh, you were recording Dungeons and Asians at the time. We were. Yes. Yes. And I had already been, I had performed at D&D Live and I've done a couple other things, but I had never met anyone on the D&D creative team. Mm -hmm. And Mike reached out to me and was like, hey, you know, I got your contact information from James. I'd love to get a writing sample from you. It could be anything you want. I went, oh, fuck. And I sent up this long Microsoft Word document that was this like fictional Asian culture. Mm-hmm. It was like my own unique Bronze Age Chinese inspired culture because I was still in grad school at the time. Mm-hmm. And I sent it to him and then I never heard back. Yeah. And then a month later, um, I got an email from, I can't guarantee this, I'd have to look back, but I'm like 95% sure it was Chris Perkins. And it was like, hey, do you want to come and work on a D&D product? That, I said, absolutely, I do. So that was late 2019. Late 2019, and then I started working early 2020. Mm, which, which just shows you how long the ramp-up time for these projects are. Like, I mean, yeah, because you, you it came out March 2021. Yeah, you were working on Candlekey Mysteries, you know, well over a year in advance. Like, I've been working on Paizo mm-hmm. stuff that, you know, was being... Cha doesn't come out until next year. Yeah. We worked on it, what was it, like, a- April it feels like a year ago? April, April 2022. <laughs> Like it's been, yeah. I mean, the OGL pushed it back. Like it's, but it's been cooking, totally. it's been cooking in the oven for a long time. Like I, you know, stuff that I worked on in 2022, I'm only just, it's only just coming out now. Like next month is when the stuff's going to come out. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, and then, <laughs> you know, Candlekeep happened and then more people knew about me. I ended up going on Adventuring Academy in Dimension 20 mm-hmm. uh, because I had previously consulted for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, I just kept getting opportunities after that because my body of work was growing and people were recommending me. And you like still, I, you, I, you still did the Asians read Carator thing, even after getting what you, yeah, you, I did. You got a lot of balls. You got a lot of balls. There. I got a lot of balls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> were you scared? Like, was there no, never. Yeah. Interesting. No, no. Honestly, I don't think it's fear. It was like the lack of self-awareness. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I worked on it and I remember reading, actually, no, 
I'll tell a funny story. I remember reading it and being like, fuck, this is bad. And I messaged my the editor who I worked with on Book of Inner Alchemy, Hannah Rose, and I was like, remove all references to Carrot Tour from my oh, draft. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know that. Yeah, I, I know that yeah, story. Yeah, and so but... we did that and um, just because I had learned so much more. Mm-hmm. But I think my relationship with Wizards is a well-known one. Mm-hmm. I'm not a shill for Wizards mm-hmm. because I've, and Wizards knows that I'm not a shill for them and that I'll always speak my mind. Mm-hmm. But the difference is that when I speak my mind about their mistakes or the things they do well, because we've talked about that too, I'm always trying to offer an alternative. I have been, um, I, I have been, I have gotten a DM from, <coughs> sorry, from someone at Wizards who who um, liked a tweet that I made about like the constant barrage of like mistakes that they were making at some point last year or the year before and i i it was a, it was a tweet that i made about like the, the mixed race like half orc oh, thing yeah. like stuff that are doing for one dnd i did get a tweet from a wizard employee saying thank you for this um insight we you know i've, I've shared it with other people in the company because it's good that you're talking about this and so so they, they like you, you do not have to be a shell for wizards um even if you're working for them and I, I think it's it's good to point that out there is freedom to you know you're not if you're not an employee you're not a full-time employee there is freedom to, to speak your mind but still you do have a lot of balls daniel because you didn't just speak your Thank mind you. You, you, you did like a whole series <laughs> i did a whole thing yeah. and then a lot of wizard employees though like turned out to those streams all the time right in their off hours or whether they were working or whatnot they, they showed up and like i know they pay attention to our content because jackie and i did that reaction to the new monk yeah and i got so many risk like direct messages from mm-hmm. wizards employees being like hey this is actually super useful yeah i mean um, it's it's free cultural consulting slash slash design work so yeah. i mean yeah it is, it is and useful. other companies have um i almost broke an nda right there I almost broke an NDA. <laughs> uh, also, though, like a lot of companies, like you know, they watch our content, and I think a big part of breaking into the industry is putting yourself out there. Whether this be through self-releasing stuff on itch, whether yeah. this be you know starting your own actual play, uh, putting stuff on you know drive through D and D Beyond, or yeah. even doing a podcast where you talk about these things, um, it is a great way to get attention. Yeah. And but with attention comes a lot of responsibility, right? There, there is good and bad attention. And yeah. I think one thing that I know you and I are very care- careful about is when we're being critical, we're making sure that we offer solutions. I think solutioning is something that's often missing in the rage of social media. We can be mad at things, but we also need to be able to concisely articulate why we are mad at these things. Yes. And the ability to do that translates into your ability to write and collaborate with others. And companies look for that. Um, so yes, to kind of circle back, how did we enter the industry? Networking, branding, and then awareness about yourself as a creator. Yeah, um, I think there is, you know, it's kind of wishy-washy to say that what you put out into the universe will will come back to you. But, you know, that, that is kind of true. Like if you are vocal about a hobby or an interest, and if you make it a point to to find ways to, um, promote your ideas on that hobby and interest, whether it's through, like you said, like 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 your own your own RPG project, or whether it's articles about mm-hmm. about the RPG that you love, which is what I did, or whether it's a uh, cultural commentary on your own podcast, like. And if you, you if you do it in a way that is not just dunking on something, you know, it's 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 one thing to say, oh, this mechanic in the game sucks, but it's another thing to say this mechanic is not the best because of these. Specific reasons, um, then you can really make an impression in the long term, 
I think. And com yeah. com companies like people who can articulate and speak about things without necessarily just crapping on them constantly. And I will say, after Candlekeep, despite shitting all over Wizards and doing, you know, Agents Read Caratour and Oriental Adventures, I have worked with Wizards since. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, I always laugh when people so, say that you hate D&D &D and you ruin D&D, because I'm like, you know Daniel? That dude loves D&D. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love D&D. &D. I, I love D&D. &D. Um, I like playing it. I, I've been playing D&D &D for like over 20 years. Loves D&D, um, &D, specifically 3.5, but he does love D&D. &D. Specifically 3.5, yeah. yes. Honestly, you and I, we should just put together a 3.5 game. Yeah, we do, should. Do a three, we we should. should. Just make the most busted characters possible. I think that'd be fun. Um, we just have to find other people who would want to play 3.5. Nobody wants to play 3.5, Daniel. It's, it's over. <laughs> this is the dream. Maybe we'll do a one-on-one -on -one thing. <laughs> or we'll do a PvP thing. We both have a budget of gold pieces, and this is the level, make the most busted character, and just go. Oh, man. That's, it, it, definitely will, it def definitely will appeal to a certain group of individuals, but yeah. 100%. <laughs> it's not for everyone, but yes, um, know what you like. Um, now, on the agenda, another thing we wanted to talk about was like looking professional. Obviously, you have been a professional writer for a very long time, and I guess I have too, uh, not as long as you, but like, what would you say are like, the best tips to looking professional as a freelance writer in the games industry. I mean, you don't have to wear a suit and tie. <laughs> like it's, well, <laughs> you don't, you don't have to do that, but I think um, you want to have a professional mindset, sort of what we talked about just now, not just aggressively dunking on things, not, not, not just, uh, you know, writing hate threads on Twitter for the, the likes. It, you need to be professional in the sense that you are, uh, if you want to break into this industry, you kind of got to, you know, respect the people that are behind the product that you're criticizing also like it's one thing to to say such and such a thing sucks um but it's another thing to realize there are people behind that thing that worked on it and you need to kind of understand that okay you know individuals put their heart and soul into what you know you're criticizing and to always kind of take that into account so i think like having a professional mindset and keeping a, an eye on the fact that you've got peers in this industry it it, it helps you know, does that make sense? Like, you don't, yeah, you don't, you, you don't necessarily want to want to just like be known as the person that just says Wizards of the Coast sucks, Paizo sucks, Chaosium sucks, whoever. Um, you want to try to maintain some some degree of a professional, positive attitude, even as you critique things. Um, I think also being professional and promoting yourself, like it helps to have a place where people can check out all of your work. Uh, some kind of portfolio site because they're going to ask for that. Um, usually it's like a writing sample and a link to something that you previously done. And if you just have a web page, it's a lot easy, a lot easier than than uh, than sending them like a random like uh, screen capture or PDF or whatever. So I mean, I use card.co. I think you use that too, Dan. That's what I use too. Yeah, everybody uses that. It's just like a very simple. It's build, free. Free build your own website thing. You can set up links to all the stuff that you've worked on. For me, I put links to the freelance writing that I've done and the uh, professional journalism writing that I've done just to show that, hey, I can do various types of stuff. It doesn't, it, I, I can write about comic books. I can write about hard news. I can write about video games. I can write TTRPG design rules. Um, I think if you prevent, if you present a fully fledged picture of yourself in that fashion, it goes a long way to uh, showing a company that like, oh, this, this person seems to be quite accomplished. Like they, they, they've got their credentials. That I think matters more than like a CV 
in in this particular world that we're in right now. Totally. I, I think for for my portfolio on my website, I break things down into like narrative writing and game design, mm-hmm. developmental consultation and cultural and sensitivity consultation. Yeah. And then for each thing on my portfolio, I'll list the name of the project, the role I played, and then the release. Yeah. And then for certain things, I'll write if it's an independent release or for like Avatar Legends. I wrote Avatar Legends, contributing designer, 2023. And then I wrote two gold any awards, best family game and best rules, 2023. See, that's so all. I'll put accolades that are associated that, with that. Well. That's awesome. That's like that's like hyper detailed. I, I don't even do that. I just throw a bunch of pictures of stuff that I've worked on. Uh, <laughs> up there. I, I, I guess yeah. I used to have pictures, but I think I ran into the problem of, well, I have too many things now. I, I am running into that problem, and I will have to confront it at some point. But I like the pictures. <laughs> I yeah, like this it. was a recent pivot. I don't yeah. have pictures anymore. And yeah. then I do have a sec- selection on like academic research because I do have academic publications mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and I have a new one coming out, actually, for a project I worked on back in grad school about pipe smoking and kids learning how to make pottery. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I put my academic stuff. And then, of course, I put Asians Represent because yeah. you know, it is a production. Um, I have gotten a lot of cultural consultation gigs because folks have liked the way that I speak on this podcast. I, I have gotten, they like, yeah, I've gotten those too from the Asians rep appearances that I've been on. So yeah, and I, I really like what you said about acting like a professional because reputation is like extremely important mm-hmm. in particularly in the games industry. I don't just say TTRPGs, but also video games, mm-hmm. board games. I think, I mean, we talked about how you got into this industry because of me. And I know a lot of other people who are friends of ours, like Drew. Drew got his first gig working for Paizo. How many people could say their first gig was for Paizo? That's pretty awesome, yeah. Like Drew can, yeah. but the reason is because like Drew had never, he didn't have a portfolio when he started working on Tensha. He didn't have anything, he had no credits. But we were in, Drew's in my home D&D game. And I knew Drew can write. I knew Drew can perform. And I knew his work ethic and his values. And so when James reached out, I said, hey, I know all these other people. Have you reached out to? And I said, Jeremy, Drew, and Emma. Mm -hmm. Those are the three people who I said. Um, And so it's really important to cultivate a reputation. Yeah. Right? You said, like, hey, you can't just be dunking on stuff. You need to offer solutions. Right? What you really need to have are advocates, people who are going to say, hey, I don't have the bandwidth for this project, but I know somebody who would be really good for it. Mm-hmm. And I can vouch for them. A- advocates. Because can, yeah, go ahead. it's so important. I, I was just going to say advocates can come about in the weirdest way. Um, like I, uh, Undying Corruption, which is the uh, Korean setting for 5E and now Pathfinder 2nd mm-hmm. Edition. Nice mug, by the way. Um, yeah, it's a mug of Daniel's face. I want one of those. Um yeah, it's a nod to the office. My brother yes, made this for me yes. for my birthday. <laughs> um, Undying Corruption, which is a Korean setting for 5e and Pathfinder 2nd Edition, is being made by a guy, a, a real good guy named Minky Kim, who um, kickstarted it. I had actually run a game of Yokai Hunter Soci- Society for Minky Kim online, like way back, oh, in, no way. way back in 2019. I did not. I did not know he was Minky Kim at the time, but he was a friend of another dude that was in, it was an online game. He was a friend of another dude in the online game. And the first session, that dude was like, oh, I love this game so much. I got this Korean friend who would really like to join. I was like, sure, why not? Like, yeah. Um, right. And he joined and he played through the sessions with us and he played a really cool character. He played like this overseas Korean living in Meiji Restoration era Japan who got cursed by a, like a yokai in Korea. And it was it was a ton of fun. 
And then years later, I found out that he's doing this project, and I didn't even know it was him. I just put it together because his like avatar picture on Discord was the same as his avatar as avatar picture of Nine Heavens Press, the uh, oh, no way. The, the, <laughs> the company behind yeah. uh, Undying Corruption. So I messaged him. I was like, "Hey, we haven't talked for like two years, but are you doing this?" He's like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Well, do you need like a writer? Like, I I can help pitch uh, ideas. I can do conversions." And he was like, "Yes." And I started working on stuff for him so yeah i mean having the i think you bring up something really important and it's like not only is it like networking and having advocates but it's also having the courage to reach out yes reaching out to people be like hey can i get a shot i'll do anything and also just saying like hey can i help out on this and that but but not just saying that like like saying i have a skill here like he needed someone to convert 5e content to pathfinder second content like and i was like i can do that I, I I think uh, at the time, I, I don't remember if at the time I was allowed to say that like Tian Shao was out or not yet, but I said like I have worked with Paizo in an official capacity on upcoming projects. Like I can do this. Um, I didn't really have anything to show for it, but I think he gave me that shot because he remembered I had GM'd for him. Um, so he knew, yeah. he knew my personality to a certain degree, even though we were just doing voice online years ago, but he remembered that experience. <laughs> so you know, I think reminding people of uh, those, you know, your skill set and, and shooting your shot and saying, I'm capable of this specific thing that you're looking for, it can really go a long way to getting you that first gig. 100%. 100%. I mean, it's just the industry is very interesting. Anybody can break into it. Anybody, it's never been easier to publish your own shit. It is, it is it, yeah, it is a very so easy. Um, open industry. Like, I do love the TTRB industry, despite all of its issues, for being that industry where you can break into it. Like, it's hard to break into other industries. It is hard. Like, you, you read it. You write your own book. Like, it is hard to self-publish. It is hard to, like, get the attention of big uh, big mm-hmm. publishers. It, you you want to make your own comic? It is a pain in the ass. But you want to make your own little tabletop game? You can put it up in a billion places at this point and you can say hey i've got this thing on drive through or hey i've got this little like five page thing on itch.io do you do you need somebody to work on your big project and you know it happens it uh, does but i will say this about comics though webtoon is i feel webtoon, i feel like yeah. webtoon is really changing yeah. the landscape webtoon and web comics have changed things a lot but the, the comics, the, the comics industry, I would say, it's still not as open as like the TTRPG industry is for like newbies just jumping. I would in. love to do a follow with Jason Lowe because Jason Lowe went from doing a like a self published indie comic to working on Marvel. Mm. Okay, he went went to working on Marvel, worked on like Star Wars, worked on Spider Verse, worked on X Men stuff. Like, dude is a legit Marvel writer and illustrator now. Mm. So I think maybe the barrier to entry then for becoming a ttrpg writer specifically might be somewhat lower than entering comics because comics is more of a visual medium and so like if you're not very much so if you're not an artist who has a portfolio of visual work out there it can be tricky to to break into comic books specifically but because ttrpgs are like you know they're mainly words they're rules they're designed you can you can design something that has very limited art and still get a shot working at like wizards of the coast Totally, totally. And then, you know, platforms like Itch, Drive Through, and like DMs Guild are all places where you can get attention, mm-hmm. right? It's where you can share your work. And even if you don't want to make like a card.co website, your Itch.io store could also be your portfolio. Yeah. Right? These are all the things that I've worked on as an independent creator, right? Um, another thing is like, I while yeah. it is very easy to self-publish, another thing that's really important is finding your own niche. 
right? Mm. Like I know that like I do the Chinese stuff, like world building, archaeology, I work as a cultural consultant. That is what I am known for. Mm -hmm. Yes, I work certainly work beyond it. I've now worked on mechanics, mm -hmm. right? I've worked on illuminated worlds, motherlands. Uh, worked on like cloud breakers as like a developmental like like editor. So now I'm like starting to work beyond my niche, but I had an initial niche, and that's a lot of what I worked on, and that's how I got my like sort of in. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like, because we've kind of talked about being like professional, but also like how to market yourself. I think another thing that is really important, and this is easier said than done because you and I have talked about, you know, I have never solely relied on freelance earnings to support myself. I got I to start with that. I've never done that. Uh, I have always had like a day job. And so I realized that that's a very privileged position to be in. But for me, one thing that I tell others, to the best of your ability, you really need to be values driven about the work that you pick and what you put out there. It's the same thing about talking about like dunking on things on Twitter. Right. There's one thing, it's it's okay to be critical and it's very important to voice your opinion. But in this industry, you also should be solutioning. Mm -hmm. Same thing about like the work you do. The work you do is a reflection of who you are for the most part. Yes, you got to put food on the table. You got to have a roof over your head. I get that. But if you can, you really need to understand that the work you put out and the people who you associate with through projects are a reflection of yourself for as sure. a professional. For sure. Very important. Right? There are folks who I know in the industry who I won't recommend mm -hmm. because of how they conduct themselves to me yeah. personally yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. and who they associate with. Like I had, I, there was, and you know who, who I'm I, talking I know, about, I, Jeremy. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And there was somebody who like I was in a really tough time personally reached out to me. It's like, hey, I think it was like Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, one of those who was in a winter holiday and was like, just want hope hope you and your family are all good. And that's like, cool, thanks. That that was nice. And then literally the next day, messaged me again and be like, actually, what I meant to say was, I work for this company now. And would you be interested in like pitching and freelancing? And I have not talked to that person since. And I will actively ignore that person. Yeah. I mean And that tells me a lot about this person as a human being. It, right? it, it's okay to ask me if I want to work on something, but don't check in with me and then it'd say, actually, what I meant to say was, I work for this company and I need to build a roster of freelancer. It's good to be genuine. Um, people can, Very much people, so. People can tell when you're, you're, you're not being genuine or when you have an ulterior motive. Um, and... Yeah, it, it, it in a in a tiny industry like this that is mainly driven by word of mouth and like sometimes people talk. Sometimes there aren't even contract tracks. There's sometimes they're just handshakes. Like it 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 does pay to be genuine and to be like a dependable person. Being like, oh, that's a nice like th th that person is nice. They they're nice and they're talented and they've got a they've got credentials. And like, yeah, let, let let's let's hire them for this project. Like that that's that's the thought process that happens. Yeah, or like, hey, I know this person is reliable and will get things done on time and yeah. is communicative. Communicative, yeah. So communicative, important. Like, important. I ha I know people who will do great work, but are flakes. Yeah, yeah. And that that's what you do not want to be known for as a freelancer. You do not want to be, be known as someone that drops the ball at the last minute. Like, every company I've worked for would much rather you communicate ahead of time, be like, hey, I cannot do this four weeks in advance than, like, going dark, like, the night before and just disappearing. And that happens. That happens a lot. People have shit going on in their lives, but if... You, have the 
courtesy, professional courtesy to at least try to say, hey, I'm going through shit right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be present. Yeah. If you do that and like, look, we know some, you and I, we know somebody who's going through some stuff right now mm -hmm. and they're collaborating with me on a project. Mm -hmm. I know they're going through shit. I'm not going to bother them. Yeah. I'm going to be like, hey, look, I know you got shit going on. Let me, let me take the workload right now. Right. But if, you know, people just drop off the face of the earth, even if they're going through shit, I don't know that. Yeah. So when I have other people that I have to report to, or if I have other people who are depending on you or, or, or the results of your work, I can't provide that context. So being communicative and being genuine are so important. That's a big. That's a big part of the file under like how to be professional, how to how to how to, how to look professional, uh, be a communicative person, be someone that like drops in updates from time to be like hey, like hey, I just want to update you on my current status with this project. Here's why I've been quiet for you know the last couple of weeks or days or whatever. Like here's what's going on right now. Um, stuff like that is is much appreciated, and I think because the TTR. PG industry can be kind of informal at times like a lot of mm -hmm. communication happens over discord or whatever um because that's the case a lot of people kind of flake and if you want to get more and more projects that is not something to do yeah i would say you mentioned discord and this this is something that i've ranted about before but yeah, this, I will say it this is your bug briefly yeah. briefly again i don't like working on discord I hate Discord as much as I hate Slack. But one thing that I think the industry is really lacking are project management skills. Mm -hmm. So if you have project management skills, whether you are somebody who is like a Scrum certified professional or somebody who has experience working in like agile, and I say agile from the project management perspective, like agile environments, that is an asset to this industry. If you are somebody who has skills in Office 365, if you are somebody who has skills in like working as a Google project manager, working with tools like Jira or anything like that, these are all skills that are a huge asset to the industry as it grows. For instance, I know that Wizards of the Coast, they are all Office 365 users. Mm. So everything that Wizards of the Coast does goes through, they do their meetings on Microsoft Teams. Mm -hmm. They, I submit everything on Microsoft Word, mm -hmm. right? And so having used to work for Microsoft, I'm actually like a certified trainer in Office yeah. 365. I have these skills and it's something that I bring to the table that makes me different, right? So technical skills and project management skills are really important. And, and yeah, I, I would add, yeah, um, if you want to freelance in TTRPGs, actually familiarize yourself with Microsoft Word if you haven't used it in a long time again, because a lot of companies use Word. Very different. Like, it's also like yeah. a very complex tool now. It is. There's a lot of lot of stuff there. I know everyone um, uses Google Docs now, but a lot of you're gonna have to learn Word for a lot of projects. Mm -hmm. And you know, having speaking of Word, Word can also be used to make things like a resume, your cover letters, but also things like an invoice template, stuff like that. Yeah. If you're interested, um, so. To wrap up this, this segment, I think what we're saying is if you want to market yourself, if you want to be professional, you need to kind of have the following qualities. You need to be communicative. That was like the most recent thing we said. Mm -hmm. um, in being communicative, that is a part of like acting professional, but also having things like a website, a business card, um, your brand online, how you, you, know, you know, how you portray yourself on Twitter or any other popular social media platform. Um, you, As much as you possibly can, you want to be values-driven because the projects that you work on and the people you associate with are a reflection of who you are. And companies see that. 
and other people like people who might recommend you can see that. And then, of course, like the last thing that we said, like reputation, reputation, reputation. Everything in tabletop RPGs is based on reputation. Whether you like it or not, there are people who will talk behind your back about you. There are going to be people who will say, hey, Jeremy, have you worked with this person before? Mm. And you might say, oh, I don't know, kind of a flake. I'll be like, cool, I won't recommend them. It does kind of feel like high school at times because it's so small. Very like, much pe- so. People are talking. But like you... You know, just just like how you can, you know, high school is full of potential <laughs> for the future, uh, presumably. Um, presumably. There, there's there's a lot of room to grow. I mean, you don't, you know, even if you're you're not great at promoting yourself, not great with social media. I mean, stick stick with it, and like, you know, you don't need to have a million followers on x formerly known as twitter or blue sky whatever whatever people are using. You now. need to have advocates. You just need to have advocates. your follower account means nothing. Yeah. The number of likes you get. They don't mean anything. Yeah, you need to have it's a, just having advocates. Advocates and uh, you know a, a small body of work will help. If not, then advocates and connections and being able to produce work on time uh, in a clean fashion, uh, in professional, don't dunk on people. Like all those things, all those things go a long way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've got uh, some questions from patrons. I think we've we've answered some of them, but I think it might be important for us to kind of like formally go after these questions. So. Uh, Stefan has asked, uh, what are some key things uh, POC oh. freelancers wish... Oh, do we, do we also want to talk about balancing professional and personal obligations? Oh, yeah. Do yeah. you want to do that first before yeah. we go into yeah, this? This, 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 okay. this gets heavy. <laughs> this is a heavy one. Okay, so we'll go, to the, we'll go to patron questions after. So we originally didn't talk about this at Big Bad Con, but before we started recording, Jeremy, you and I were, were basically... We spent like a good amount of time just being like, God, I'm tired. Yeah. I'm tired, dude. Um and so we added uh, a talking point and agenda on balancing professional and personal obligations. And there goes my watch notifying me that I need to exercise because I'm not balancing my professional and personal obligations. Um, one of the things that's really tough about being a freelancer is that it's not a nine to five. I imagine that if you are just a freelancer, you're a full-time freelancer, you're working when you have work. Mm-hmm. And you never know when you're not going to have work. And so there is this sort of scarcity mindset that you have to operate off of. I got to take on projects. I got to do this. Um, and that can lead to burnout. Yes. For me, I was, you know, while I had a full-time job, I was also taking on freelance jobs and I was taking on too many because I didn't feel like I could say no. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, it's good, but are people going to forget about me? Do I have to keep working? And it hit this point, and you're very aware of this. I, I got burnt out. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I had to drop out of some projects. Um, and I had to say no to some really high-profile projects that I wish I could have said yes to. Yeah. Um, I had to drop out, and I, I think I could talk about them because I, I I'm not I won't talk about the project. Uh, I worked on an Andrew McMeals project, or I was I signed on to work on the Fever Nights RPG. Mm. That was the last Andrew Mc, Andrew's McMeal RPG. It was really cool. Um, I was really excited to do it, and uh, I just didn't have good balance with my my personal life, and I had to drop out. And luckily, Daniel Fox was like really empathetic of it. And he was like, hey, I get it. Family first. Um, And so, you know, that was a positive experience for me. But I shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. I shouldn't have put myself in that position. Um, 
I had to say no to a D&D book. Mm. Is it one, um, is one, because, that's, is one, that's, one that's out yet? Or yeah, it's one that's out. It's oh, one that's okay. out. Okay, yeah. Uh, I got asked to work. Is it bad form to say? Up to you. I don't know. Um, I got asked to work on a, on a 5e book that was already out. It had a short timeline. Um, that's one thing I always ask when I go to work on a project. And that's the thing about being professional. It's like, hey, what is the expected word count? What is the rate of pay? What is the timeline? Um, but uh, the timeline was really aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I had already reached this point of intense burnout that I was like, I, I, I don't think I can as much as I want to. Um, I think if I had taken on that project, it would have reflected poorly of me because I don't think I could have you know, performed as well yeah. as a writer. But I'm bummed about that because it was a cool one. Um, yeah. Now, I think because I was a professional about it and I explained my situation, they did follow up with me about another freelance thing related to that original topic. So it did work out in the end because I conducted myself as a professional, but I just have not been good at balancing being a freelancer being a human being, taking care of my family, my relationships, and indulging in like, you know, my interests. Like we were talking about how I just got this Marvel Legends, Marvel Knights awesome. Blade figure awesome in the figure. mail. Uh, and like, I wasn't taking care of myself and I was just working. Yeah. I, it It is hard to... So... <sighs> Going back to the topic of like wor- working freelance full time, and like how you said that yeah. you've always thought you've always had it like a day job, and that is how it's important to to before you start freelancing, like ask yourself why you are freelancing in TTRPGs. Like, what what do you want to get out of this? Is it because you love TTRPGs and want to contribute to the betterment of the industry, or is it because you you know want to be famous or want money and stuff like that? Because there's like there's very little money in tabletop role-playing game writing um you know if if we if we want to be completely real right now like i i I freelanced full-time for two years and i think in like 2022 like my freelance writing i made like fifteen thousand dollars throughout the entire year um just on writing gigs I had some investments that, you know, were able to give me more income, but I made like very little money at all. And I was living in New York City. It is completely unlivable. Um, how do you support yourself as a full-time TTRPG writer? You usually don't, um, unless you have a day job, unless you live with your parents or with, you know, your own, own house, maybe. Unless or you, like you have a partner who you have a, you have a partner. has a regular job. You have a partner who has a regular job. My wife was, uh, you know, she made she made good money and was able to help support us. And it was a privilege to be able to work on TTRPGs and make like no money last year uh, while my wife was bringing in the majority of the income. Um, and a lot of people who are full-time in the industry kind of fall under those conditions. And th- th- that's sort of the secret that people don't like to talk about. But you make very little money, uh, nine times out of ten, unless you constantly, constantly hustle or unless you get lucky and manage to, you know, have work on the right projects or with the right people or work with, like, MCDM who pay, like, 25 cents per word. That's that's pretty good. Uh, but most companies don't. They, they, they don't pay that much. Um, ten cents per word is, like, the... the, the 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 new rate that most people are adopting, but there are companies that like try to pay like. I mean, we were talking with a friend who works for a company who was like, they're they're trying to pay six, but I'm trying to get yeah. them to pay eight cents. Yeah, six word. six cents per word, seven cents per word, like that that that's rough. You you spend hours and hours writing 
you know, a couple thousand words, you still make like a, only a few hundred bucks. It's not enough. It's not enough. Not to, to mention all of the time you put into research. Yeah, it's not enough to pay for groceries, honestly. Um, so, you know, a lot of times you're going to have to hustle hard. And for two years, I hustled really, really hard where it was constant work, constant trying to find jobs. And, you know, if it wasn't for my, you know, other streams of income and for my family, I would not have been able to live. So it's, I think it's a tough, it's a tough path. Um, and, if you really want to break into the industry, I would suggest that you, you know, keep a day job or do start by doing it on the side first because to just jump in fully, it, it's it's difficult, especially if you don't have some kind of safety net. And then when you jump in, uh, when you jump in with like a day job, then you have to balance the day job with doing the freelance work at night. Like right now, my life, I've just moved to the UK. So like nine to five, I'm working a full time job. And then I eat dinner uh, with my wife. We might watch like an hour of TV. I do the dishes. And then I got to work on freelance stuff from like uh, 10 p.m. to like 1 a.m. Um and that's tough. I can't always do that. Like I was, I had a big freelance deadline a few days ago and now I can finally rest a little bit. I don't have to do that at night. Um, but it's, it's tough. You need to find like a system that works for you and you need to also take breaks uh, every now and then take days off, like figure out a way to better your time management skills so that you aren't like in massive crunch mode. Cause if you're in massive crunch mode and you're, you're trying to just like, go all out at night uh, you're gonna you're gonna burn out after a while so yeah we're talking specifically about like freelancing yeah. there are folks who can go and you know crowdfund a, a game and make a ton of money on that yeah, yeah yeah like you could do that but then you'll you know there are many companies who are their existence is very much based on the success of their next crowdfunding campaign yeah th th that's and, that's another challenge like you can crowdfund a can uh a project and make a decent amount of money to then live on that for you know a couple of years as you as you work in a game but then you gotta you're you have to make a profit from the project that is eventually mm -hmm. sold and then you need to immediately start working on your next project you need to have multiple projects in the oven because if you are taking that kickstarter route you are a small business owner and you need to have um backup plans because you know you might find yourself with a kickstarter that doesn't fund you might find yourself with a you know, with, with, with a project. You might find yourself uh, with, a, with a Kickstarter during a pandemic yeah. when there are like the, the supply chain issues were absolutely fucked. Mm -hmm. We saw companies ask for more money from their backers. Yes. Uh, we've seen projects get like unfortunately canceled. Like these are all things to consider. So it's not easy in general working in games, but there are a lot of different considerations to take. Mm -hmm. For me, as a freelancer with a day job who is trying to have more work-life balance, I also really want to work on my own shit. Mm -hmm. Like... I have uh, taken a step of doing a physical notebook mm. and I'm working on like, like this is what my, these are what my ramblings look like on screen. Patrons can see the full video. Um, but like I've been working on Wandering Blades and working on my own shit has been super rewarding and I get to work at a pace that is my own and that of my collaborators. Yeah. Uh, Drew. Um, but that's a luxury, but I'm not getting paid to do this. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm lucky because I have a day job. Right. But I've chosen to work on my own stuff. For me, like, you know, we talked about the cost per word or the pay per word and the fact that you have to do research and there's a lot of extra time involved. Because a lot of companies just say, hey, I'll pay you 10 cents a word. And they just think that you could just put down words right away. It's but not you, how it but works. You can't. You can't. You have to do 
you know, to write 600 words for a, a tabletop product is sometimes very difficult, particularly if you're writing mechanics. Like that is careful consideration of rules that is researching the system. Like I've written for systems I haven't played. Um, and Me too. in that case, you have to you have to go in there and you have to familiarize yourself with the ins and outs of something very well to the point where it can stand up to scrutiny from the actual developers. And that, that is a skill that you develop in time. Um, but it is tricky in the beginning. And so I guess, mm-hmm. I guess all of this is just kind of a roundabout way of saying that it is hard to uh, freelance full-time specifically. It's very hard. It's very hard. For me, the point I was making is because of the, the hidden time cost to being a freelance writer and my desire to have more balance and to work on my own projects, a lot of the freelance work that I take on right now is actually consulting work. Consulting work does pay better. Yeah, Consulting work does pay better as a cultural consultant. I do have a sliding scale. Um, but if I say I have this, I am charging you this many hours, I'm only working that many hours, right? Unless you're George from 3Sales Studio and I'll work for you for free because I love George. Shout out to George. Um, shout out to George. Um, not Asian, but an ally. Um, but yeah, for me, like as a consultant, like I work these set hours and I'm selective of the projects and the pay that I get is reflective of the work that I'm putting out, um, much more so than writing. Uh, do I want to do more writing? I absolutely do. But I have made the decision to write my own stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, we did our chi rules uh, that will come out after Liana, you know, takes care of her medical issues. Patrons have access to the chi rules for 5e and Pathfinder 2nd edition right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is a luxury to be able to work on your own stuff. Or it is a luxury to be able to take the risk of working on your own stuff. I say that too. Um, so for me, my choice was to step back, enjoy life a bit more, consult, and work on my own stuff. For me, my- people still approach me for freelancing, and I yeah. and I will always, I might consider it, but in general, I'll pass it on to people who I know are reliable, communicative professionals. For me, my 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 choice was to go back to having a full time job <laughs> because I just yeah. I just need it. But also, I, I ended up moving a country because <laughs> moving countries and and my uh, uh, my. Uh, quality of living expenses are somewhat lower now. Not that that's a solution or viable for most people. But uh, on like a serious note, I think one thing that you can do is advocate for yourself in terms of higher... Uh, higher pay if you can like and th- this is hard to do it's a privilege to be able to do this but mm-hmm. a lot if a company's trying to lowball you and be like we're giving you like five cents for it don't do that job like because <laughs> because I, I i don't do the job unless it's really really important to you unless it's a very good reason for you to do that job i think like a lot of people um they're so desperate to kind of like be sure that like they aren't forgotten in the industry like they like you said or they're desperate to like try to get mm-hmm. something like I think at this point in time, I, I would recommend that people definitely try to take gigs from companies that are paying, you know, kind of the industry standard now, which is getting to be 10 cents per word and look with scrutiny upon a company that is lowballing you and see if there's a way you could potentially advocate for yourself, especially if it's going to be an intensive job. If the job involves some sort of cultural knowledge that you, for example, if you're a person of color, if you have some way of promoting yourself in that arena, being like, hey, this is like I'm working this is like a samurai RPG and I'm like half Japanese. Like you want me for this, like give me twelve cents for it at least. Like you know, I, I recommend going back and forth Be and bold. seeing seeing what you can get. Because if you don't mm-hmm. do that, and I'm terrible at negotiating. I'm terrible at negotiating a price. But if you if you're getting offered uh, too low for your worth, then 
I would suggest that you respectfully decline or try to to up that amount ever so slightly because if you don't, they will bleed you dry. They will. I also let other people know. Like I had a company reach out to me, company that like you and I both know, mm -hmm. and they had this. There was an opportunity, and they were also asking for recommendations for other people. And I was like, I reached out to you, and I was like, Hey, are you interested working for X company? Mm -hmm. And you were like, Ah, oh, what's the pay? And I went and I, I confirmed what the pay was, and I was like, Don't work for them. Yeah. And I told them like, Hey, I can't. Yeah. Like I had, I've had other people who have asked me, Hey, can you recommend somebody? I was like, I'm not going to recommend anybody for that level of pay. Because it's not fair. Yeah, I mean, the, the, um, the standard of pay in the industry... It's a luxury, though, to yeah, say that. The standard of pay in the industry does need to rise. I mean, I understand it's mm -hmm. tough, and, and a lot of companies are... Especially if they're small companies, are struggling to make ends meet themselves. But writing for TTRPGs is a demanding business, and people need to start advocating for pay, and people need to start getting better pay, or else, you know we're all going to be stuck making like pennies that can barely cover the RPG books that we need to buy. Or just replaced entirely. Yeah, or replaced right? entirely. Yeah, and nobody wants to see, you know, nobody wants to see ChatGPT write the next edition of your favorite role-playing game. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a tough situation to be in, uh, but solidarity is important. Yeah. Um, you know, having allies communicating with each other and checking in with each other is very important. Having a support system in place. Um, anything else you wanted to add to that sort of, uh, oh, one other thing as a freelancer, and this is a very important, this is a very important lesson that I've learned the hard way in the past year. I have to pause for a second. <laughs> pause. Cause this is where it gets personal. Cause Daniel and I, where it gets Daniel and I both worked on these, mm -hmm. these things okay. that we cannot technically speak about. Can't speak about it. I don't think ever. No, never. Uh, never. Yeah, so, never. <laughs> okay, big, big lesson about balancing professional and personal obligations. As a freelancer, it is very important to not get attached to your work. It is extremely important not to get attached to the project that you've been working on. We talk about this a lot with cultural consultants. As a cultural consultant, you can tell a company what you think they can do, but you cannot guarantee that they will actually act on your feedback. As a freelancer, it is very important for you to understand that once you sign that contract and once you submit your work, that's it. You have no control over it. You are you a, have no control over you're a hired, what the editor You're a hired do. gun and, and unfortunately you're a hired gun. that is it. That's it, right? You're you're a spiderling and the company is Doc Ock and Peter Parker's body. Um <laughs> right once you turn in that work, that's it. You have no control over where it comes out. I mean, we saw this with Candlekeep Mysteries. Graham Barber uh, submitted his adventure and he didn't like what his editor did. And Graham didn't even realize that until the book came out, right? And now he has requested that his name be removed from subsequent editions of the game. And look, I respect Graham and I think that's a very values-driven move to make. I think his name is still on right? D&D Beyond, though. Yeah. Oh, D&D Beyond's got to fix that. Yeah, um, I don't know. But... You know, I was lucky. I had a really great editor who, as I was reading Oriental Adventures Live, was kind enough to be like, okay, remove all mentions of Kerator. You can keep Sholung, but let's remove Kerator. Mm -hmm. um, you and I both worked on projects, and we have really put our heart and soul into them. I worked on one really recently for two years. I made really good money. 
Uh, it was for a company that paid really well. It was not a per word. It was like a flat mm-hmm. rate. I made enviable amount of money on it. And it was a very personal project. I, it was the first time I got to write about like the Chinese diaspora. And I, and I used a lot. Of, you worked on the same I project. On, I, you edited I, my work. I edited Daniel's work. So I, uh, I can confirm that it was really good. It was, yeah. If, if, it was, if, if it had been allowed to manifest into this world, it would have changed the game. I think it would have. Oh, that's kind of you. I think it, it, it was. I think it would have been the first time a mainstream TTRPG would have seen really interesting stories about the Chinese diaspora. Yeah. And not, not an indie project or anything. But, but yeah, yeah, I put my heart and soul into this project. I wanted to make it as real as possible. Like I sent them reference photos of like family and, members, and I, I doubled up on the reference stuff. Like I, I did in the cultural consulting I did. I sent in a lot of research for things that they could use to supplement your work. Um, I sent them like photos yeah. of like so the headquarters of this faction was in this restaurant. I sent the photos of my grandparents' original restaurant. I got really invested. I, I put real family members' names as characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told real, deep Chinese-American stories. I did a lot of historical research. And is this... Yeah, there's, there's, actually, two, there's actually two projects that you, you did all this research for. And, yes, yeah, there's two projects. There's two projects, and, two projects. And, and they've both kind of gotten, gotten canned. So Yeah, and, and I, so... And I worked on I both the of them soul. So, yeah. You worked on both of them. Yeah. Because I was like, hey, I would like this other perspective. One of them because you had a very unique perspective. And I was like, Jeremy is the only one that I want to edit this mm-hmm. because he's the only one who can. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Both projects ended up, to my knowledge, got shelved. One of them was not exactly. We can't say that. We yeah, can't say well, that. Okay. We can't, yeah, 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 we can't say that. Yeah, okay. They're effectively shelved. Effectively shelved. And not effectively. because of the quality of the work. Okay, okay. Because yeah. of decisions made by people beyond the freelance creative yeah. team. And I, I will, I'll be open and vulnerable about this. It really hurt. Yeah. It really hurt. Because. Up until this point, I had only worked on things that, hey, I know this is going to see the light of day. And this was the first time I worked on a project where I was so hyped. And I learned the lesson that, hey, things can get shelved. And so as a freelancer, it's really important not to get too attached to a project or too attached to your work. You don't know what an editor is going to do to it. You don't know what a consultant might say about it. You don't know if the project is going to even see the light of day. So yeah. very important to set those expectations mentally before you start working. Uh, I have learned that the hard way, and it sucks. It's tough when that happens. I mean, you got paid, I got paid. Like we made money, but you know, I don't think either one of us is really in it for the money. Like I've just complained about the money for for yeah, we're not in it for minutes. the money. Like I, and I could just not do TTRPGs forever. I think live comfortably <laughs> for the rest yeah, of my life. I, I think that um, realizing that you are that you are a hired gun. That you know. If you do the job on time and professionally, you will get paid, but you, you don't have control after that point. An editor mm-hmm. team is going to go in and change what you wrote oftentimes just because they have to, but the nature of the project might change because these things are in gesticulation like a year, two years in advance. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we both worked on projects that have been canceled at this point. We or pushed back. Or pushed back. Pushed back, know, too. Tianxia got pushed back, like, almost, uh, like, half a year, seven, eight months. Margrave got pushed Margrave, back, too. Margrave the March Lords got pushed back as well. Um, and things get beyond your control and you kind of have to just roll with the punches then um eventually there will be a payoff and but even then like you know what you end up seeing in publication might be a little bit different from what you wrote and if it's a situation like what happened with graham and uh candle keep mysteries you know hopefully that won't happen to you but you gotta be ready for that possibility that the final result will be markedly different or changed uh than what you submitted and you know yeah. I'm 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 feeling a little bit nervous about seeing like uh, this Pathfinder article I wrote come out next month because you know I I I can say this actually because yeah the um the monsters have been revealed in the um the current volume so I I wrote uh, Pathfinder Adventure Path number one hundred ninety eight I wrote an article in the back um one uh, volume one hundred ninety eight is called With No Breath to Cry I believe and I wrote an article on a type of monster that has just been revealed in the volume that came out this month um the when wh what I wrote is sort of like a history and the ecology of the monster um, but I know that the text I wrote there, there's some discrepancies in the reveal this month and what yeah. I wrote because we were all working on this back as freelancers way back in the day and we had no idea of like different details that might change like the visual style of the monster and so I, I'm a little bit nervous to see like what it's going to look like uh, when I get the final book in my hands next month but that's just the way it is. Like there are things that change in projects over the course of a year and you kind of got to just be ready and enthusiastic, as enthusiastic as you can to deal with those changes, even though it's really hard sometimes, especially when the project gets canned. Yeah. And we see this and it's not just with writers. We see this with artists too. Like the, um, we saw this with wizards of the coast and, uh, and the initial artist's work being augmented with an AI tool. Mm -hmm. That was a big controversy. Um, I drew the draft maps for Book of Inner Alchemy and seeing the final maps, I'm like, it looks like they traced over my drafts. Yeah. I don't get credited as, an, as a cartographer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, but that's, yeah, yeah really important. I mean, not to. It, this happens a lot in creative industries. Yeah. Like, it, you know, it's, totally. it's even worse than like. You have to if, understand that. If you work in the video game industry, you can spend years of your life putting so much effort into highly visual detailed things just for the project to get canceled um sometimes in the 11th hour and that's even worse or for you know you could you could work on a game and it just get absolutely shat on by everyone yeah right like think about like gotham knights think about gotham shat knights. On. Which, which i actually think is is not a bad game it's just not and i know somebody who worked it. on it right yeah. or think of all the people who worked on suicide squad when that was first Gameplay was first released on Suicide yeah, Squad. Although they just put out a new video, and it's, they just it's, it's, they're, they're changing yeah, they're things. Changing but things like, imagine how those stuff. people felt, right? Yeah, it's tough, and especially if you work for. I mean, if you're working for a big corporation, like you know, uh, I think Rocksteady is they own themselves. They're big. But like, they're but, big, but they're pretty big. And like uh, Warner Brothers, Warner, whichever Warner Brothers studio made Gotham Knights, like they're owned by Warner Brothers. So like, you're not entirely in control of your own destiny there. You're like a big company is controlling the the outcome. Yeah. And so Or think about people, a really good example in video games, there was a really cool game that I was hyped about years ago called Scalebound. Oh yeah, I remember Scalebound, yeah. That game got fully canceled. Yeah. It was a game of it was like an action RPG very similar to like Devil May Cry, open world, but you have dragons. Mm -hmm. It looked fucking sick. Yeah. Game got canceled. It was supposed to be on like uh 
Xbox One. Yeah, it got canceled and it got canceled. The or like the, and then, <laughs> the Batgirl movie, which just got canned after it was already oh, yeah. done. Oh yeah, the, the Batgirl movie, really great example. It's done. Nobody's gonna see it, right? I mean, thankfully. I think the thing we both both worked on. I mean, the Sting is is it's you know it's much smaller in scope than the Batgirl movie, but the Sting I imagine is kind of similar for both of us. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I I will say this, and this is a tip, and this is to answer one of our patron questions. Mm-hmm. See that segue right there. There you go. Nice. Stefan asked, "What are some key things POC freelancers wish they had known before they tried freelancing?" I think we talked about a lot of answers, but there is one thing that I'm going to add in relation to not getting attached to projects or understanding that your work will change when the final product is released. As a creator of color, if you are really bringing in elements of yourself into a project and you have the ability to advocate for yourself in the creative process, do so. So for instance, this project that unfortunately got shelved, I put so much of myself into this project and when talking to the creative team and the leads, I said, I know we're going to hire consultants. I would like to pick the consultants that work on my work because I do not want someone who will not have the same perspective as me mm-hmm. or come from the same background or understand what I'm writing. And so I said, Jeremy needs to be the consultant that works on my work because I know that he will understand what I am writing and he will make it better. And so as a creator of color, if you have the ability to do that, if you have the courage to advocate for yourself and you're working for a, a project of very large scope, that is a big piece of advice that I have for you. Be an advocate for other people because they will advocate for your work, not just like the products of your work, but the work that you are currently submitting to another company. Mm-hmm. Very important. Um, do you have anything to add to that question? Any, any other key things that you wish you had known as a, as a creator of color? I would, um, yeah, I I would probably ask, particularly if you're writing something sensitive or something that's been criticized a lot, like for instance, like Kara Tour or something like that. Like, um, this is completely hypothetical. There is no, as far as we know, <laughs> there is no Kara Tour remake in the work in the works. Um, but uh, I would ask, hey, like. Is this going to go through a um, cultural consultant? If you're not the one doing the cultural consulting, if you're the one doing the writing, is because you're not infallible. Like you might need someone yep. to look at your work as well. And if you're not the right person for the job, ask: Am I being hired? Because like I'm a POC who is like part Japanese, and theoretically, you think I can write this like Japanese setting, like, but. I might still need a cultural consultant to check me just in case I get something wrong. So like ask yourselves, are like ask the, the administration in question, are mm-hmm. is cultural consulting or sensitivity readers, are they going to be involved in this? Have you already had them look at something if you're coming in for an editing job? Like what is kind of the vision of this particular project? And particularly if it's heavily related to, you know, your culture in question or or, or, or something like the Tian Cha book, which was all like POC, all like people of color and all Asian Oh, yeah, people. I have no That's concerns about that. Yeah, I know I'm concerns about that. But other projects, it's like, particularly if you're the one POC freelancer, it's like, and if you're being hired to work specifically on something relative to your culture, be like, okay, what is the, did you just hire me because, you know, to get brownie points? Like, what what is the actual process going on in here in the big picture? Like, what is the end goal for this piece of content? And is there room in the budget for 
a cultural consultant to maybe check it afterwards? And can I, you know, am I allowed to write some commentary about things that you should not do in the editing room with my content after I've written it? Because a lot of companies, you know, um, they will ask for, you know, comments on the side of your draft or whatever. That is the place to say, hey, here's something that you should not cut or not change because to do so would be insensitive. Like it's very important to kind of add those markers in there because like we said before once it leaves your hands it's out of your hands but if you write in ahead of time hey do not change this otherwise it's going to be offensive you can help circumvent a tragedy yes yeah and it's very important to have these conversations at the beginning yeah before you start the work um awesome so uh second question lord matry asked uh what makes for a strong pitch when pitching a new game slash system to publishers general advice for the pitching process I put some thought into this because I've been obviously working on uh, two new games. Uh, one that uh, I've been talking about very publicly, Wandering Blades, and another one that I have not been talking about publicly, but will be pitched to a publisher. I have three tips for pitching. The first one is like, to me, it sounds so straightforward, but the first one is to organize your idea and answer every possible question someone might ask about your idea, right? You have to be prepared. Right? So you need to make sure that you have information about how you're going to make this idea happen. Have you looked at a budget? Have you thought about other games that are out there, like the competitive market? Have you thought about the format, the size of the book, the art, the team? I have had so many people hire me as a consultant. And when I start working with them, I ask them, hey, have you looked at this game? Because your game is basically that. Mm. And they go, no. Yeah. And then the project ends. Right? That happens all the time. If you don't do your research, you may put out a product that already exists. Right? The second is when your project is, is more developed, you need to be prepared to build a pitch deck. Um, essentially, this is a way for you to explain it to anybody like they're five. It's going to have all of your research in something that's very accessible. So you're going to have an overview. If it's a game, you're going to talk about mechanics, components if it's a board game or a TTRPG. And then, of course, your competitive analysis. When in the early stages, when you're working on your project, I like to kind of sit back and think, okay, what am I actually making? And so when I started working on Wandering Blades, I basically thought, what is Wandering Blades? And I settled on something. And I don't think I've ever talked about this on the podcast. To me, Wandering Blades is violent melodrama in an old school package. That's my take on Wandering Blades. And in the Wandering Blades document that I'm working on, I have an outline for Drew, who is working with me on this, uh, and I to make sure that we have a North Star. Wandering Blades, what is it? So yes, it's violent melodrama in an old school package. But on a deeper level, it's a rules light, low fantasy tabletop RPG that's inspired by Chinese martial arts media and OSR games. And I have three core principles that we are designing around. One, the world is dangerous. So in Wandering Blades, the world is full of danger and the smallest mistakes can be deadly. So that means that the mechanics are aligned with the potential for character death, right? So that's one, the world is dangerous. So when Drew and I are working on it and when we hire freelancers to work on it, they need to know that the world is dangerous. Next is that the game is simple yet tactical. We want people to have a smooth gameplay experience, but we want people to be empowered to work together and make active decisions 
based on their mastery of the system. And the last one is that we want a toolbox experience. We want to make sure that when we are communicating the rules of Wandering Blades, we are communicating them as guidelines. They are open to player interpretation. We want people to be you know, experimental with our rules, and we want their ingenuity to kind of come out in their gameplay experience. And so with those three tenants, we are writing Wandering Blades, a game of violent melodrama in an old school package. Mm -hmm. So when you're pitching, you need to have all of this thought out. And we're still working on it. We still don't have art yet. We're working on that. But we are thinking about how we are going to communicate our game to those who do not know how to play it or don't have the time to read our entire book. Mm -hmm. What would you add? Do you have any anything about pitching? I don't have a huge... Because I know you pitch like articles and stuff as a journalist. Yeah, I, I, I haven't pitched an actual game yet to a publisher. I have had a, I have had a game pitch to me uh okay um this is sort of what i mentioned uh to you briefly before i started working i've had someone pitch a game to oh, me okay, yeah. Yeah. A, 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 a currently under wraps game to me asking would i like to work on this and um this is an interesting position to be in but i think what made me accept that particular pitch was that the person um pitching it to me was able to distill it down into a few key sentences describing it's like this combined with this combined with this mashed together. And, and because I was familiar with those three things, popular media items slash video games, like I was able to imagine the pitch. Um, so if you're able to distill, like, kind of like what you said, Danny, if you're able to distill things down into central parts um, and, you know, when making a pitch deck, even if you don't have art, you know, being like, hey, these are my artistic inspirations. Here's art that I found that looks like what I want the final thing to feel like. That really helps get people behind your pitch. Um, as far as like similarities with pitching articles goes, I mean, I think when pitching stuff, you also have to be ready for the fact that your pitch might not get accepted. You might, you might, it might, yeah. might be an awesome idea in your head, and they just might be like, might be like, no, it's not, it's not really what 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 we're looking for right now, and that just might mean that the market is not there for the particular pitch that you have in mind, or that person that you pitched it to, that company that you pitched it to, is not accepting of this particular thing at this moment in time, which means either go back and retool it or pitch to someone else, like. You don't have to pitch it to a single company. You can pitch to multiple companies. It's also companies. super important to know, if you're going to pitch to a company, you should research what they've made. Yeah. I have, <laughs> first, I tried to pitch Ross Rifles to Bully Pulpit Games. Oh. What, it does not what It is, does not align with what they do. What has Bully Pulpit made? They've made a... They, they, they've done like... like um, uh, they've made Fiat Fiasco and like... Yeah, they did Fiasco. They've done... Um, Night Witches. Alex Roberts' game. Um. Oh my God! It's so late. Oh, they, they made they made the skeleton. So I like that game. Okay. Yeah, yeah. skeleton is excellent. Yeah. But yeah, I I met uh Jason and Steve, the co-owners of Bully Puppet Games, at a Chinese restaurant mm. at the inaugural PAX Unplugged. Mm -hmm. And this is when I was, was twenty eighteen. This is when I was working on Ross Rifles. And I was like, you know what? I know their work. I I loved Night Witches, which is uh which is one of their games. And I was like, that's a war game. Let me pitch my war game to them. Mm -hmm. And I was not ready to describe what Ross Rifles was. Um, I didn't have any, I didn't do any research on them. I had done research on the competitive market, but I wasn't prepared to speak concisely about Ross Rifles. And they said, nah, not us. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. 
I see them all the time and we talk about Ross rifles and we laugh about it. Um, but you have to be prepared to, to be rejected. Yeah. And you have to have backups. Yeah. If nobody accepts your pitch, pitch, maybe go and say, you know what? I'll self-publish it on my own. Yeah. Right. And you know, it's funny about bully pulpit. I was trying to figure out Alex's game and I have a star cross sticker on my <laughs> notebook. Go. Yeah. I mean, I got a star cross <laughs> sticker on my notebook. Um, God, it's hard to remember. Um, sometimes you're good. Yeah. It's, it's late and you know, we're old. Um, but one thing that we will never forget when it comes to Asians represent are the people who make this show possible. Um, and that's the most honorable sponsors of this podcast. Um, we have, and we should always shout them out by their companies, Metal Weave Games, like OG, OG supporter of Asians I, uh, represent. I did some freelance work for Andreas too. I wrote, wrote, Me too. wrote, some, Me too. wrote some articles on his site, did some Metal Weave Games stuff. So yeah, shout out to Andreas. Shout out to Andreas. We got a, I we I bought one of the Alabear plushes. They are nice. Mm-hmm. I will say I, I'm really glad I I, I bought one. Um, yeah. Shout out to Battle Weave Games. Uh, shout out to uh, Valorous Games. Uh, Liana's company. Shout out to Liana. Uh, Liana is obviously somebody who you can pitch to if you've got games that align with you know what she produces. Uh, Liana is a great person, and you know Liana is somebody who I pitched Wandering Blades to successfully. And so we're working together on Wandering Blades from a publishing perspective. Um, yeah, so again, shout out to, you know, those companies, Metal Weave Games, Valorous Games, but also shout out to, you know, Matt, JT, Michelle, Johnny, Stefan, who asked the question, Drew, Brooke, everybody who has helped Asians represent up until this time, you're a big part of this journey. Um, and I will list, you know, <laughs> I've listed some patrons who are no longer patrons, but we appreciate your support um, at any point in our journey, especially given that, you know, Jeremy, we've come a really long way since talking about Oriental Adventures and L5R on stream. We have. You've broken into the industry as a freelancer. We've played a really long game of Pathfinder 2nd Edition, probably the best Pathfinder 2nd Edition game I've ever been in. Yeah. Um, certainly my favorite character that I've ever played. Um, and also the, you know, but, Asians represent has changed. The sort of content that we deliver, I think, is, is, is I think it's far superior to what we were putting out me too. back, you know, two, three years ago. Uh, it's, 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 it's different. It's more educational. It's harder work in some ways, but I think it has more long-term value. And that's why we also do, for balance, we do No Dice No Problem, the show where Drew and I talk about poop. Man, <laughs> we I, talk about whatever we want. I I, I want to go on that show. I know you. I know it's just you two, but I like I want to go on there sometimes and just feel like a guest and just talk shit with you. Wanna? Guys. Do you want to? Do you want to? Technically, I do. our first guest ever was Emma because she was yeah. sitting next to us when we were recording Big Bad Con. I know. But do you want to be like the first ever? I would love true to. Guest I would love to. Like. I, when we were bullshitting for like, I don't know, 40 minutes before we started recording, like, I wish we could record that because, I mean, that's an NDNP episode. Half, half of it was stuff that it was, you know, we can't really talk about because it's still under NDA, but sometimes <laughs> yeah. I just want to, I just want to shoot the breeze and want to answer some weird questions about poo with you dudes. Like, honestly, lactose intolerance is like giving me problems these days. I wonder if we could have a segment that's themed around lactose intolerance. There's got to be something. I got there. so much to talk about lactose intolerance, man. I got so much. If, if we ever did like, uh, we're in the field and we do food thing. If we ever did a food series, the title will have to be about lactose intolerance. Oh, got to be something there. I mean, yeah. Um, if if you, I would love to hop on No Dice No Problem because that is that is a listen. If you have not listened to No Dice No Problem, you are missing out. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you probably already have access to No Dice No Problem because it's on the Asians Represent podcast feed. Um, Jeremy, seriously, we will talk because I think there's some good No Dice No Problem content there mm. that we can do. But yeah. Drew and I are partners in No Dice No Problem, so we have to both agree. Yeah, yeah, um, no, it's, it's true. It's true. But that's true. Like, if I'll, you hate me, I will find you. I'll go to St. Louis and I will take you out. <laughs> we'll know that Drew hates you if he says, no, you can't be on No Dice No Problem. Oh, man. Um, so true. Jeremy I'm, never I'm not, shows I'm up gonna, on No Dice No Problem. I'm not going to go to Warhammer true. World and buy you minis, Drew. Mm. Oh, shit. Can you imagine, though? We did a whole thing where it's Drew goes to Warhammer World with you. Oh, that'd be, that'd be so dope. That'd be dope. That'd be cool. And like Good content. And I think I told you this. Uh, Sarah and I are going to Japan. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. And so I'm going to record tons of content when we're in Japan. That's awesome. That's um, going to be so much So fun. very excited for that to go on Agents Rep. But I will say this. In talking about freelancing, talking about freelancing, I think with regards to Agents Represent, one of my, I would say like, I don't want to say it's a crowning achievement. It's like a, a a moment of intense pride that I will never forget is when they released the, they did the full public announcement for the Tian Sha books and they released the list of all the contributors. It's just Asians represent. <laughs> there were so many tweets being like, did James Case just go to the Asians rep server? Did they just mine all of the Asians rep episodes I mean, for guests? James has been in the Asians represent server since it started. Forever. So like, no, yeah. So James James is a real one. Let's 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 James is a real one. But like for me, I was so proud because Tian Sha was a lot of people's first ever gig. And if you look at that creator list of all Asian people, fifty percent of them have been on Asians rap. Mm-hmm. And I am so proud of that because that means that we are achieving our goal of creating more opportunities for people and helping people break into the industry. And I think that is the perfect thing to end with before I get emotional. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's going to be a good book. Got to get it in our oh, hands. I can't soon. wait. Gotta we're going to do soon. like a whole list of a series of interviews with all the people involved. I can't wait. It's going to be it's awesome. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. James, we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's it, folks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Asians Represent. Uh, Jeremy's going to get some sleep now because it's very late. And I'm going to probably start playing Persona 5. Nice. Nice.